Welcome back to another episode of a podcast written by a software engineer. I'm your host, Perrin. Today, I actually have a really sick guest for you guys. I'm with Jonathan. Jonathan, how are you doing? What's up? I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> actually, I am doing pretty well. I mean, uh, yo, it's COVID. Everything's good. I'm working out because I have nothing else to do. So, yeah, I'm good. Because I was going to say, like, <laughs> it's funny because, like, I'm good. The first thing you break up is COVID. It's like, oh, what's going on? Um... It's funny because for the for the people who don't know at the moment, the current status right now, we're about like end of 2020 or somewhere around that, like coming into 2021. And um, there's a big pandemic. So I don't know, you know, if people keep on listening back like years later, it's like, yeah, we're currently in the middle of a pandemic, which is why a lot of topics might revolve around that. But actually, I'm going to admit that's not the topic of today. I'm absolutely glad that you're on the show at the moment because you do a lot of cool stuff nowadays. And one of them is you actually do run podcasts as well which uh, we're going to definitely dive into. But yeah, for the people who are not familiar with you and like what you do nowadays, like give us a brief intro. Like, you know, what, what are you up to, you know? Oh, okay, cool. So you see, I am a mechanical engineer and uh, I work at this uh, engineering firm called Slab Innovation. And what I do is pretty much everything <laughs> because the company is a small company. And you know what? Small companies are pretty awesome. You get to touch pretty much everything. But basically, I'm just a mechanical designer, so I design machines. Uh, we lots of machines uh, with uh, uh, slabs of uh, cement <laughs> and stuff like that. So we do like lots of uh, automation, uh, robots, and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome. That's actually really cool because I there was nothing in my mind that came across where like slab innovation, like the actual word slab, actually meant something. <laughs> um, I'll, t- I'll tell well, you what it meant. Okay. It's my boss's name. <laughs> oh, okay, so, okay, it's like a coincidence. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, slab. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, basically, you know, like, when you were in, like, in school, and you would take the last three letters of your family name, and the first letter of your name, and that's it. So, it's S-L-A-B. <laughs> oh, that's actually quite funny, because, like... And also, right, it cool. makes sense of the company, because we're working in, like, uh, cements and stuff, uh, in the cement, and the slab of cement is, like, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah i think that's a yeah that's a bloody good coincidence that it happened that way because you know you can always name like you know the different companies that are out there like zillow or like you know hopper that kind of stuff like yeah those names don't really mean anything because as in like if you hear hopper you don't really know what the actual company does but now that you talk about slap innovation like i was like okay that makes sense but that's pretty sick so that's actually like you know your main focus nowadays like i want to dive in dive definitely into how that kind of works. I already threw out some really good concepts in terms of like, yeah, you're working with machinery, working with different types of, you know, very hands-on engineering tasks, as opposed to like all this theoretical, which is on the other side. So um, we're going to get to that, but there's a lot of other stuff that you do on top of that as well. Like I heard you uh, run a podcast. So you want to tell us a bit uh, how that how that looks like today? Uh, Seriously, the podcast, well, right now we're at season three. Episode one is already out. So episode 41. And um, yeah, exactly. We're 40 episodes in. It's pretty awesome. With the COVID uh, happening right now, things are going a little bit slower. And also we've been doing a lot of other projects on the side. Uh, I'm recording uh, a mixtape for uh, my uh, roommate. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, we're going to release the the mixtape in um, December. It's going to be pretty awesome. Oh, man, I'm pretty sure people are going to be looking forward to that. Uh, just because when I said that, you know, you were doing a lot of things like th- that was just an understatement of what's happening. So if I just have to give a recap of who Jonathan is, you know, just a quick overview before we dive super into how you became that person to begin with. Nowadays, you know, you're doing great engineering stuff at Slab Innovation. 
You also run a podcast on the side, which is called the Recipe Podcast. People do check it out. Um, you do actually all the audio engineering and all the producing behind it, which is super impressive because, you know, I've been trying to figure out how my setup works and uh, I've already gotten really good feedbacks from you. So we're, gonna, we're definitely going to dive into that as well. And then as we were saying, like you do have a lot of experience in terms of like mixing and even just doing DJ gigs as far as I know, right? That was a, that was a part of uh, your, your history at some point, right? Exactly. But I'm not a DJ anymore because I haven't been mixed. Well, actually, I do mix. I still mix. I still do have mix tapes. I just don't mix in front of people. Uh, because of COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It might come back on some point, as far as I, I know. Hope. But yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Imagine, no, that's the end of it. No, that, like for the rest of the, whatever, 100 years, going to stay like this. All right, hopefully not. Crossing my fingers on yeah, it. It's pretty crazy because I haven't got paid since uh, like February. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's All horrible. Right. It's, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we so. could dive into like the actual logistics behind it. As in like, yeah, obviously it's a bit horrible, but I feel like it's good knowledge for like, you don't always apply just for DJing, right? There's a lot of similar situations. So those, like, in terms of, like, those three paths of, like, different talent, a different, like, job and tasks that you do nowadays, like, I want to figure out how, you know, you got to that point. Because everybody starts, you know, kind of the same point. It's not completely true. Nobody starts at the exact same point. What I mean by that is that, like, we've all been kids before. We've all went through some sort of education, fortunately, uh, just because, I mean, you know, we both grew up in Canada, specifically, like, um... I've known you since elementary school, so this is way back, like, you know, what, 20, 20 plus years? Okay, we're not that old. Maybe, maybe pushing 20, but, um, so yeah, we both grew up in, I guess, Montreal, and it's, you know, it's a very French community, and the first time I ever met you was in, uh, elementary school, so that, that goes way back, but did you always, like, knew, even back then, as, like, a young kid from, like, six to whatever, 10 years old, that you were gonna go into this path of, like, so much heavy engineering work and so much... I guess tech involved nowadays, just because of all the equipments that you have. Uh, seriously, maybe. <laughs> Actually, when I was in elementary school, if I remember correctly, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to dig up some dinosaurs, and or uh, airplane pilot, because I traveled a lot. I mean, like when I met you, like I just came back from Mauritius. I actually lived there for like two and a half years, and uh, oh wow, yeah, I never told you that. Well, I'm pretty sure you did, but I feel like that was just a, another cool thing to drop right now. <laughs> exactly. I do, I do know that you have a lot of roots over there as well. So, like, uh, I always got jealous, actually, for all the people that got the chance to, you know, go go there. And then, especially when you say living there, it's a different lifestyle, is it? It is. Um, one thing I always ask people in Mauritius, I don't know if it's true, but I always assume if somebody tells me Mauritius is my head, I'm imagining, like, beaches, and then you have, like, houses really close to the beaches. Is that true for most of it, or does it actually look kind of like... There's high rises where they have like some, you know, proper industrial buildings as well. Uh, yeah, it's actually, um, <clears throat> it's not a third world country <laughs> because uh, the tourism there is so good that like, seriously, like they make a lot of money. So like, it's like, adv it's advanced civilization on an island ish kind of. Okay. They have, look, to give you an example, they have a university on an island so like that's already there is pretty good they have i guess they could have higher education that's actually so bad of me i feel like i've just been ignorant about this stuff no i'm kidding not being ignorant um i think it's just really just painting the picture right because uh fortunately i do know quite a lot of people from Mauritius. i've never been there which is really annoying but in terms of when you were saying like it's it's very modern it's very it supports a university where there's uh it probably emphasizes the people you know, getting the chance to live there to experience it. And then on top of the actual tourism that happens over there, 
Um, it's actually great. So, I mean, obviously, I'll put him on my bucket list. We're going to talk about traveling because you did do a bit of traveling as well. And I absolutely love it just because you get to talk about different stuff. You get to talk about different food, different kind of like th- like thinking between two different cultures. So um, this is one of the, you know, when you bring a Mauritius, I, I just wanted to, you know, pinpoint your brain a little bit on that. But yeah, when we're talking about like when you were in elementary school in terms of like you kind of had a feeling that there was a, there was kind of some, some tech slash like engineering slash like even archaeology. I want to break that up real quickly. Is that like you do need some system to be able to do archaeology, right? You need to be able to uh, grab some information, whether it be directly from like fossils, or whatever, but then like you also need to apply it and then like, you know, work with it at the end. So nah, nah, I think this <laughs> that, that was, archaeology was just like, yeah, I just love dinosaurs, man. Like Jurassic Park was the thing. I just loved it. And that was it. And then I realized there is no money to make it in it. Like, you're not rich. Well, I think, well, I think you're not rich. You're not rich. And also, you might not find dinosaur borns. And I was like, nah, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I, was like, I don't, I don't want to find, I want to find dinosaurs. I want to be Alan Grant. Yeah, that's what I wanted to be. And then when I realized there was no money in it and no dinosaurs, you like, imagine like you going through this one fossil for four years. This one fossil. And it's just like it's not even that great. You're like, oh, I wasted my time. Yeah, it turns out to be, <laughs> turns out to be like some some rogue insect. But to be yeah. fair, even the rogue insect might have had a massive impact on like the ecosystem during that time. Exactly. So. But like, I just went to see like have a bunch of dinosaurs. That's it. I went to the uncover yeah. like the Velociraptor underneath my my house. They really, I really thought there was dinosaurs underneath my house when I was a kid. I think a lot of people want to believe that. I think that's one thing that everybody want to be able to tell me like, yeah, you know what happened the other day? Like in my backyard, we're just chilling around and somehow you, they just pulled this like dinosaur bone out of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was my thing. But like engineering really started more like in uh, uh, high school, actually. And you know what's funny? In elementary school, my English was really bad. Like I was I was basically a French kid. I was not, I wasn't speaking English at all. And now I don't know what happened. <laughs> I think that's a gift, man. I think that's a gift more than anything. Because one thing that I can relate personally is that since we grew up in Montreal, uh, fortunately, through the education system, like, we both went to a French elementary school. We both went to a French high school. And, like, just because of that, you know, exposure, uh, you start learning French, like, by osmosis just because that's your everyday life. And the next thing you know, like, English comes. Uh, they do put an effort to teach English people over here. But I live in the West. You also live in the West. So... A lot of times we just end up like knowing English as we grow up. So fortunately, you know, today we could talk French. We could do this whole thing in French, but I think like we're just going to lose like so many people. And I'll bore myself because my French is terrible to begin with. I mean, like I speak French at work. I mean, <laughs> I work in French, but the clients oh, are yeah. English. It's, it's hilarious. My colleagues are French, but my clients are English. Especially if you talk to me, I'll be like, oh, uh, I have no idea what you're saying in French because I'm terrible. I'm kidding. I, I, still, I still remember quite quite a bunch of it but um you actually mentioned uh, a speck of the engineering influence or like the engineering like you know light bulb that came in was i guess was that towards the end of high school you were saying like what yeah. was that moment so basically uh i uh, when i was in high school i used to love to draw cars that was my thing you know like every young high school kids everybody loved oh well, i don't know I loved Too Fast, Too Furious. I loved the Nissan Skyline GTR. That was my car. I wanted to have it. I was drawing that car every day in art class. Literally, if you look at my art book, I was actually good, a good artist. Like I loved to draw, you know? And I was just drawing cars. And at the end, I was like, what do I want to be? 
And I went to the the counselor and I'm like, I love turning cars. I just want to make a car. And she's like, oh, you should become an engineer. And I was like, hmm, automotive engineer. I want to do that. I want to make cars. I want to have my name underneath a car. And um, basically, she's like, okay, well, go to CJEP. We'll talk about CJEP later. And uh, do like a technique or genie mechanic, which is like uh, basically I'll become a technician, mechanical engineering technician. And, uh, and if you like it, then you could always become a mechanical engineer. And since then, I just kind of followed that path of becoming a mechanical engineer. It just worked. I was like, oh, it works. Let's do this. I was going to say, yeah, that's like, that is, um, okay. Two shout outs real quickly. Shout outs to the counselors out there. Shout outs to the people who are giving people direction. Cause, uh, as you were saying, like this position you were in where it's like, you do have an interest, but sometimes you don't know exactly what's the next step or how to do it. The people out there, the counselors, they are doing that job. They're the ones that actually do a lot of good work and, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for directing people in the right way and just like showing people that the world is big and the world is their oysters and they have all the options. So that's shout out number one. Shout out number two is drawing freaking cars, man. Like that sounds so cool in terms of um, like not only is it a hobby, but then again, like it's just an inspiration that drove you to keep on pushing this, um, you know, interest that you have to begin with. I'm saying this, which is quite funny, because I was talking to another guest of mine uh, on the show, and he was saying that one of the inspiration of him becoming a designer was that during high school or during, like, school days, he was drawing football shoes. So that was, like, football boots, right? That was, like, the kind of same concept, where it's, like, you know, it's just an interest, and then you get to apply it nowadays. So if we talk about the days we were talking about, like, drawing cars, did you have a system in terms of, like, yeah, you have the GTR that you absolutely love, and I'm pretty, it's a pretty sick car, I could give you that. Um... What was, what was the, the thinking as in like, okay, so you're starting with a blank piece of paper. Like, how do you go about it? Okay, so you see, <clears throat> you open your your book of cars. I don't like uh, car of the year. Uh, not car of the year. What was it? The, 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 that car book that has all the cars you could buy. <laughs> that, that, was, that was it. Like, you know, like the, the book that has all the cars and all the prices. You're like, ooh, this is really nice. Let me buy a GTR. And um, you look at the car. And then uh, you all the cars are positioned the same way, kind of like an an angle, you know. And then you would just like look at the car and just draw it. <laughs> that was pretty much it. I, like even more than that, I would just like literally put the paper on the the car and just draw it. Oh, actually, I would never do that. It's just like I would just look at it and just draw it. And then I'm that was my so thing. jealous. I'm so jealous of that because the things like you're you're talking to a person who has absolutely no drawing ability, no artistic ability, like. When people are able to be like, in in taking this information, yeah, you look at a car in a in a picture in a book or something, and then you're able to you know redraw it after. That's one thing that even if I feel like I practice, I'll never be able to nail down. So like that, I'm already jealous to begin with. And you know, it's funny how I tried to like break down this question where it's like, all right, you got a black piece of paper. Where do you start? Like for you, it was like from zero to a hundred really quickly, just like a car. And I was like, just, okay, just well, just um, look at. It. I mean, like I don't. That was my third of thought. My train of thoughts. I mean, you weren't literally thinking of like, like, oh, well, how am I going to draw the car? It's just like you look at it and you just do it. But, you know, like my drawing, in my opinion, my drawing, I'm like, I'm not an artist, artist. I mean, you know, some artists that are like incredible. But yeah, in our entourage and uh, like, I'm not like them, but like this, this is how I started, you know? I mean, yeah, it's more like creative, you know, like, I don't know, just that was it <laughs> like I, I totally understand that like you can't really put a technical spin to it like my my whole thing is that like i love having steps and like being 
really like process and process and process, which I mean, <laughs> sounds really tight, but hey, it is. So when I was talking about like drawing cars, I'm like, do you start with like drawing the body first? Do you start drawing the wheels first? Do you start drawing the windows? Like, how do you choose which angle you do? Oh, do you like yeah, top yeah, down yeah. or like on the side yeah. first? Do you, this, these are all the questions that I would ask somebody when they tell me they draw a car. And like, this is basically, you know, the spin to just, it. I would just go for the lights, man. The headlights. They're just the headlights. The the face of the car. Like, you know, the car is like kind of at an angle. Like, and like, I would start always with the face of the car. I love drawing little headlights. And then from the headlights, you just kind of like draw the, the, the front of the car and just go down the body. It might not be the right way. But that's my way. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you, you said it right, man. I was in like, who cares about the right way at the end of the day? Like, if we're talking about, this is art, man. We're talking about art. We're talking about, exactly. like, just. And also, me drawing cars. I was, like, a high school teenager. Like, I, I don't know. Like, no, like, the, it's crazy talking about high school because uh, I know it's kind of, like, off subject, but whatever. Like, the teachers there in high school, I say art, they just say like, yo, just draw. <laughs> they don't tell you like, they don't give you any technique. Well, they give you like coloring techniques and stuff like that. So, but at the end, they're just like, just draw. And that's it. Like they don't teach you how to draw a car. Like I've never, the, the teacher never taught me how to draw a car. They taught me about perspective and stuff like that, but that's basically it. They don't teach you stuff. Same thing. As, it's always like, a fine line. Exactly. Same thing as I was thinking, cause um, this year I started to like uh, run uh, for the first time and like I used to hate running I still kind of hate running it's not that great it's cool but it's not that cool and uh, I realized something like when I was running in high school it was horrible because the teachers literally, literally that was it it was like they make you run in the cold weather because it's always in like fall and uh, like you're breathing incorrectly you're freezing they don't teach you the proper stride and what you know, what's the mindset of running and stuff like that and everybody hated running but like seriously running is like the best i feel in my opinion is like the best uh sport you could do that's basically free because you literally have nothing to buy besides let's say shoes if you really want to do it and for for you to like stay in shape and lose weight <laughs> It's that simple. Like you don't need to like achieve a certain like the thing about it is also it's like always like you have to run to achieve a certain goal to get a grade, but that should not be it. That should be more like you should run to be in shape in general. Like lose weight. Like there's so many overweight people in the world, and none of them likes running. Like you can't like you can't love running and be overweight. It doesn't make sense, unless you really eat like shit. <laughs> unless you really re eat badly. But like most. I was of the gonna time, say like, well unless yeah unless the whole recipe is completely wrong like you do like the whole disastrous recipe and everything and everything turns to you know muck but actually one thing i do really like uh from this is that like it's the appreciation of what you have done in the past but like you're you're, you're able to enjoy it way later in your life so when you're talking about like yeah going through art class and weren't exactly directly teaching you you know stuff that you found interesting at that time or during the gym class back then where it wasn't interesting but that just knowing that those exist and then nowadays if you're able to you know practice them so for example running like i do it six days a week nowadays which is absolutely you know boring um but i, I all the benefits i you listed sorry 100 percent true you know it keeps you in shape and everything but it's not because i do it six six days a week sorry that i love it like i personally hate running just because i find it so boring i keep on doing it no matter what because yeah benefits are there but um it's just like looking back and being able to appreciate that okay back then i didn't enjoy doing it but nowadays it's a completely different perspective. And I feel like a lot of that is influenced from like just a different life experience that you had since that point. 
And uh, even if we could bring it back to that. So we're talking about like just, you know, already having a mindset of you being, uh, you know, an engineer, having like a technical background and working and stuff. That was, you know, towards the end of the high school. But then after high school, you actually got the chance to go into a program that is like quite involved into that. So, um, yeah, where did you end up going after uh, after high school? Yeah, so I wound up going to uh, Cégep de Saint-Laurent, uh, which is basically uh, the in-between high school and university or just like mm -hmm. it's basically college you know like you could have a uh, a professional degree out of there and um i got a professional degree out of there which is a how do you say this a mechanical engineering technician and with with that you basically you kind of know everything but not everything at the same time you're basically an engineer but you're not an engineer as in, like, that's a, you describe something. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what exactly that something is. That's actually pretty cool in terms of like the idea is that uh, mechanical engineering technician. Um, you know, this is my perspective, right? I didn't go into mech eng. I went into compsci, which is still engineering but very very different. I always get you know a bit intimidated by the word mechanical engineer. Um, just because from my experience, educational experience, when I was talking to other people doing mechanical engineering. Every time they mention it, they say, oh, yeah, we're doing uh, CADs, right? They're doing these 3D model rendering. They're doing, uh, they took a lot of, you know, theory classes on physics and all that. But none of that really gelled in terms of what application or, like, what kind of what kind of task a mechanical engineer do or expect to do when you come out of it. So mechanical engineering technician, what was the requirement to get into that to begin with, actually? Can anybody get into it? Um, what was, or was there, like, a you know, a very fixed set of background that they requested before you go into a professional program like that. Oh, actually, you must have uh, your physics done, your chemistry is done. Uh, you have to have a certain degree of math, uh, be able to do a certain degree of math. I think it was uh, um, technico science. What was it? math, technico science? I don't know. Like, it was like, like at least have like that certain level of math. I don't know which math you did when you were in uh, high school. Probably did like Sciences Po, right? Yeah, it's really weird. As in, I'm pretty sure it's quite similar to a lot of high schools. That towards the end of high school, you kind of get to choose like a path. You get to choose more like you know the artsy political path, or you get to do like the sciencey like chemistry path at the end. So I don't remember exactly uh, grades in there was uh, sort of different like levels of differentiation. But I remember it was one or the other. So I went into the science path. So yeah, my background in like towards the end of high school was the science chemistry and all that so that's as much as I can describe from it so it is good that um at least like even before going into it you had the background to begin with in high school I'm pretty sure you ended up doing the math and sciences that actually let you get into this path of Cégep de Saint-Laurent and into this degree of uh, mechanical engineer technician what did that program kind of look like I keep on asking this but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that like how much was it was theory and how much was it was actually like working on a project that you have to, you know, deliver by the end of uh, oh, the program. Actually, um, actually, like, that's what I like about that, well, my program, is that you did a lot of um, practical uh, courses. It's, it's really awesome. I mean, like, we did, like, machining. So we were machining some, some parts and stuff like that, metal parts. You know, I actually have uh, all my old projects from <laughs> from CJEP. So it's like, actually, it's at work. You know, it's, it's cool. You know, the stuff that you made yourself. Uh, you also have um, welding. You have uh, what else do you have? Yeah, basically like the depending on. It's funny because uh, my program at the end of the program you have two. Uh, uh, it divides into two set categories. So either conception or uh, uh, fabrication. 
And uh, depending on which one you choose, well, people that will go to university will go into conception and like because, well, you conceptualize stuff and people that are just go straight to like work, they go into fabrication where they'll do a lot more like like CNC machining and stuff like that. And at the end of the of your program, you have you have a project. So they have to had to build something. And then we we only had to like make a concept of uh, mechanical uh, mechanical uh, stuff, <laughs> something mechanical. At least it's kind of realistic that like you have to do you have to do both uh, to to end up having a, a product at the end. As in like you can't uh, have a, a full fledged product without conception, and you can't have it without fabrication. So it's kind of I never knew that there was this kind of breakdown in mechanical engineering uh, where we're talking about. Conception is probably like I'm. I'm guessing I'm gonna love design in there. I'm gonna guess like all the AutoCAD stuff or all the, all the calculations and all to make sure that uh you know this, uh whatever screw needs to be this long to be able to fit into this. I'm guessing that's all part of the conception, and um the fabrication is probably gonna be the hands-on bit where it's like all right now that we got the dimensions, now that we got the material, now we got that. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> let's put yeah, these exactly. pieces together. Like, so. it's, the 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 more fabrication is like. Okay, so now that you want me to do that part, how are you going to do that part? You know, <laughs> like that's the question. It's like, you want me to, to draw, okay, you have like this this shaft, okay? And this shaft, uh, you wanted uh, to have like a certain a certain form. All right, cool. Uh, now, how are we going to do this? And that's the, the fabrication part. They're like, there's going to be some machining and stuff like that, some tolerances, blah, blah, blah. They do that part. Well, they do that part. I mean, technically, we all have to do everything, but like conception is more like okay, you have to have the conception of this mechanical, uh, like you do the conception of like whatever you just thought of, and now like he's like the fabrication part is like how is it, is this gonna be made basically? That's actually pretty cool. Um, was it? Would you say that it was like a fifty fifty then the program that you went into? Because you mentioned it's a professional program as opposed to you know a CJEP deck, which is diplôme d'études collégiales, which is more like you know a pretty word for saying oh it's a institutionalized uh, education program um that goes into theory and brings it to more education after um yeah so i think what i was saying was that was it like a even breakdown of 50 percent conception or 50 percent fabrication or would you say that it's leaning more towards one than the other uh to be on i mean like I, like the separation only happens like basically you get to choose your path only like uh at the last year of uh, your studies, so the you study for three years, and like the third year you get to choose. So it's pretty much like fifty fifty ish, kind of. Uh, you touch pretty much everything. I mean, like you touch uh, pneumatics, uh, hydraulics, robotics, <laughs> a lot of X. Uh, yeah, and like uh, you pretty much see it's it's a well rounded program. I mean, you get to like basically touch everything from ground zero. To like a product basically it's pretty awesome it's like imagine if you were uh watching the the show how it's made basically like the how it's made like our program is how it's made like they literally show you from a to z how things in general are made and the only thing you don't see is the electrical part and the software part even software part kind of you know because we do a bit of programming for um you know the robotics and stuff like that there's a bit of robotics, so there's some programming. Yeah, 
I, I think you probably did the best marketing for that for that program. It's like, like <laughs> hey, you remember you remember that that show how it's made? Well, hey, you can live it. Join Cejad de Saint Laurent in this program, and it's like, <laughs> oh, I should work for their department now, or you should work for their marketing department. That'll be great. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing. So that was that was my time at Cejad Saint Laurent. You know, it was it was cool. Uh, we had a lot of fun. I mean, uh, I built like my project at the end of Sejep Salon because you know everybody has a project, right? My project looked like a robot from uh, Robot Wars, and it wasn't supposed to be that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Like even I'm pretty sure the acceptance criteria was something completely different, but somehow you were like, "No, let's just build." <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but yeah, <laughs> you ended up building a Robot Wars similar like robot at the end. It wasn't even a robot. <laughs> it was like it's supposed to be a robot, but it's okay. Like this is how it looked like, and uh, yeah, we yeah, that's it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! You can't just be like, that's it. You can't just bring up the fact that you build a robot wars robot, and like we're, we're stopping oh. stopping on that. I just okay. want to know real quickly in terms of like, um, what was the functionality of it? Like, what can it do? What, what okay, like so yeah, you, you said you had a robot, but you know, um. It was the project was like we had to find a need and the need was uh, so I have one of my friends uh, you probably know him Jean Philippe remember uh, yeah man Back good guy good guy exactly so uh, I helped him a lot in his job which was uh, it a so basically he would like cut tree branches and like like basically cut tree branches that's his job he cuts he cuts tree branches and um, like at one point like he would cut the the logs also and the logs were like three hundred pounds it was ridiculously heavy. And he would have to literally lift it and put it into the truck or the pickup or whatever it is. So I decided to invent this kind of a, a diable. Like, a, you know how you call this? I don't know how you say this in English. A diable. For, for like his purpose. So that thing would, would, would do is I would take the logs. You could like carry them to like your, your car or whatever. And on a thing, you could literally, there's a place where you could put your chainsaw on, cut the logs up. And then you, there's like this small... Uh, thing that could actually lift the logs and then push them in your pickup truck or your uh your um your truck or whatever and <laughs> yeah and the way it looked like it looked like um it looked like a ro- it looked like a robot wars robot like it was it was meant to like attack other robots like it would have like claws and stuff like this and if you would put your chainsaw it would be <laughs> looked even worse it was it was all over the place um but you know what? At the end, like there was some design into it, and it was pretty awesome. Like when you say there was some design into it, I, that's definitely an understatement. I was like, if you I think mean, about all the moving parts, I mean, there's a this... lot of design into it. I mean, it was my final project. It's just like I look at back at it, I'm like, wow, this thing is not gonna work. Like it's funny because like you know this was like your school project, and I feel like school projects like you think you did like an amazing job, but like now that you're like a few years into your actual job as a mechanical designer, you look at this and you're like, I don't know, man, <laughs> that design is not that great. <laughs> you learn how to do stuff, but you also learn how to not do stuff as well when you go through those like education phase. But that's actually a sick project as in like those are the kind of stems where one day you would realize that if you revisit it there could be so much potential because i'm pretty sure there's those people who have that problem at the end of the day and then when you actually did spend time thinking about all the problems and all the way of solving each step right the step of okay we got to carry something really heavy to begin with that's problem number one problem number two is that is there enough space to actually cut the trunks whatever directly on the machine that's problem number two and then as you keep on going 
you realize they end up with a product that solves so many different problems that is related to somebody's pain point at the end of the day. So I would describe that as literally the, this is really glorified, but I'm just saying that's like the, the idea of engineering is that like you end up producing something, designing something, whether it fully works super efficiently or not, that's like the refinement towards the end. But it's really good that the spirit was already there. Even, you know, when you're saying as a student, you're kind of not, you know, the brightest person in the world. Some of them are super bright. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But <laughs> we're talking about uh, this machinery and I'm sure you have it still somewhere lodged in like whether your house or something. And, yeah, seriously. Uh, I have like the whole like project. Like I think it's in my car right now because uh, I got to move stuff from my parents' house. right now. <laughs> so like, yeah, see, you're using it. It's functional that I can't bring up a single thing that I've made during my education system that I can actually use it back. So that like, even from that perspective, I think it's already freaking cool yeah. just because uh, that's what you get when you talk to, you know, mechanical engineers, right? That's, that's a, that's a good thing about <laughs> getting, getting nuggets of information out of you. But yeah, this is, I'm enjoying absolutely all of this. Cause um, so you did this uh, professional program at the end Mm-hmm. Uh, at Cégep de saint I guess you had a choice there, right? Because when uh, people do professional programs, uh, the the option is that you could go straight directly into, you know, a professional job. Because that was, uh, I think, the mindset of the difference between if you go to a DRP, which is that's like a straighter, more craftsmanship pathway to a, to a no, professional well, job. Basically, it was a deck, right? Diplôme d'études collégiales, and then you become a technician, right? Uh, and or you go to university and become an engineer because now you have that option before you didn't have that option you need to like go into like uh, sciences and stuff like that so what did you end up doing after uh, the Cégep de Saint-Laurent then because that already seemed like a really sick time yeah well I went straight to like university I was like well that was that was easy I mean this that was my, my point of view is like look if I fail university I still have a dip a deck i could still work as a technician i don't care like if i don't like university i could still work as a technician so like my um that was my um like my uh, safety net you know so if i mess up i still have a job like i still have a profession i don't care it's cool and i'm like let's try university because at the end my goal was to become a car designer or an automotive engineer that was my goal yeah but you were building that background as you went as of like when you did this uh program at that was the background that you the baggage that you got because all this design and all this stuff contributed directly to that kind of dream so did you bring that with you then to uh you went to école de technologie Superieure, if i'm not mistaken which is people were for ets as short but yeah was that a big jump then going from mechanical engineering at to mechanical engineering at ets like um i would say like like uh as a student i became from a kid to an adult or less of a kid. <laughs> Let's not say an adult. Less of a kid because I feel like it's Cégep Saint-Laurent. It felt, almost felt like high school. Like you were messing around. You weren't really like 100% into your program. You're just having fun with your friends and uh, doing stuff and just like passing courses. You weren't really like deep into it. And then university happened and you're just like, oh, okay, I got to study. <laughs> like I got I to gotta, I gotta, like you know, put myself into second gear because this is this – is, I can't just like slack off and just like kind of like wing it. So uh, that was, that was, uh, there's a big difference between the two of them. Uh, but also I felt in university was the most uh, fun time I ever had since because uh, I've done so many things that I don't think I would have done. Um, I went to two uh, student, um, I say student cl- social clubs, uh, student clubs, 
So basically, uh, I was part of uh, the Formule ETS, which is like uh, they build a race car. Uh, oh boy! And compete All right. Against other universities, uh, probably against. Uh, I mean, you went to McGill. Like McGill was also built a race car, and we're I guess competitors to McGill and Polytechnic and all these like crazy and we're the best <laughs> we were the best we were the best in Canada. like I, I didn't even go to ads and i keep on hearing about ads being really good at building these like cars and uh and and i'm pretty sure the competition i've definitely heard of that because i think i know somebody who was actually on the that team at mcgill so it'd be funny i'll, I'll try to i'll try to bring that up again but when you were talking about these student clubs and everything those are so good because not only you have the main program obviously it's a little bit harder step up than your cgip um ones compared to that obviously but i'm guessing you didn't have that many students club at stage or not of that scale uh, there was well in mechanical there was none actually is it was none after i left though they started a student club in the race car thing but it didn't last that much because the thing about it is that it's hard to like get people involved a lot of people are like let's say anti-social anti-social i don't want to do much and like the ones that want to do much, they'll stay in the club. But the thing is that it's hard to like keep the club going because you still have to recruit people, and that's a hard part in like every I guess, uh, team uh, like social clubs in general is that re- recruitment. Like it's hard to re- like they they have a everyone has a hard time recruiting people, unless like you have a super cool club or whatever. But it's really hard to re- record re- recruit people and to recruit reliable people, because at the end they're not they're not. They're, they're, they're the students you know they're kids like none of us we're not reliable <laughs> i mean as a kid i was not reliable like come on i was gonna say you keep on saying that and i 100 agree with you which is like terrible to say because uh you know we, we've all been not all but like the people that have gone to uni you kind of know have your own expectation of how you've been and how that so that's actually really funny um when you didn't mention that and i do know the um you know when you're talking about the cycle of like social clubs and university and everything one of the reasons because the students are not there for like super long, right? Uh, they're there for like, you know, the length of their program, whether it be three, four or five years, whatever it is, there's no guarantee that they'll be there forever, which is why this continuation happens much more, you know, often than if you have like, you know, bigger companies. Not saying that people don't stay that long at companies, but, you know, companies, you gotta have expectation that if you work at a real job, you'll probably stay there for, you know, four or five, six years, which is much longer than a university degree to begin with. Um... If we talk about the actual club, when you joined it and everything, like, there's a couple, like, I already got loads of questions in terms of that, in terms of, like, what was your role in that thing? And the other bit that I'm probably going to bring up is, like, you know, the the monetary fact behind it. You're building actual, like, hardware cars and everything. So that can't be cheap, so. Oh, no, it's it's not. Okay, let's start, let's start with the price. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the price, but you know what? I'm not part of the team anymore, so who cares? <laughs> that, that, the car that we build every year, well... I don't know if they still do it every year because of the whole COVID thing. Um, costs around because at the end, like of the competition, well, in the competition that we do, uh, there's lots of uh, criteria you must respect. Well, not respect, but like uh, they evaluate on you on a lot of criteria: design, uh, and then like the design of the car, uh, marketing, and cost. And we always lose cost. Like we win everything else, or like or, like top five, or like top fifty, and everything else. But when it comes to cost, we're like almost last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait. So does that mean that the more expensive it is, the the like bad it is in terms of the grading criteria? Exactly for cost. But like cost is not does not it doesn't have that many points. 
like according to it so it's not that bad but like we always lose costs by a lot and the was reason- there a cap no, there's there's no cap. It's just like the the cheapest car wins uh, has first place basically, <laughs> and we're not the cheapest car. We're just not the cheapest car because the car is literally made out of carbon fiber. <laughs> Let's start with this. It's made out of carbon fiber. The whole tub is made out of carbon fiber. And That's actually pretty funny. To give you an example, uh, well, first the carbon fiber is uh was sponsored was sponsored by um Bombardier, so uh, we get like basically their carbon fiber scraps because like you know like when it goes to airplane stuff (laughs) when it goes to airplane stuff uh the the quality control is really steep and they tend to throw away like carbon fiber really deliberately so we were able to like recuperate the scraps which is still good for automotive purposes and um we would cure them and just to give you an example the curing it was done at uh, Aviar, I think, and you need like a big uh, oven, right? Oh wow! And to use that oven, it's like a thousand dollars an hour, and we stay literally a whole week there. A oh, pocket change. Yeah, it's super cheap. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's, just... <laughs> it's super cheap. It's, it's super cheap. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. So the car was like, I think it was over five hundred thousand dollars worth of material and like time and stuff like that are you serious five hundred thousand wow yeah well, i mean okay fine yeah but like yeah, yeah material and then like work hours and like the amount of people being involved in everything not even not even like we don't even count our hours we're just counting like hours outside like the like everything we bring outside we calculate it so yeah yeah. Care. yeah well that's that's the kind of level of like dedication and um you know commitment to to get this prestige because the thing is like i didn't even go there and i've heard about this uh club it's 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 a club at a university that you know you hear more than just outside of that university so that's the kind of level of like prestigiousness i would say uh people may come over in the world of mechanical engineering uh especially in the montreal scene so that being involved into that directly is already freaking cool to begin with and then especially when you're mentioning on top of that yes you get sponsors you get stuff to you get exposure to tools and places that you would never otherwise have access to i think that was just you know a big positive for doing stuff like this um i'm saying that because i personally don't you know, i didn't really join many like students club which i'm very guilty of so this is the opposite end right like you've done that you've got so many good stories from it just because hey look the competition you've been into but the people who don't know about the competition real quickly like what does it involve do people actually go in these cars and drive around or yeah. Okay. So uh, let's let's start like a, a main like a regular like it's called like Formula SAE, which means like Formula Student uh, AE. I have no clue. Automotive Engineering <laughs> FS FSA. And you go there. You bring your car, uh, and then you they basically test you test your car. So you test your car in handling. You test your car in acceleration. You test your car in autocross, and then at the end, endurance. Uh, and then in between, there's also like um, other criteria that are being uh, like uh, calculated, which is uh, marketing. So like people are trying to s- like you're trying to sell your car, and there's also design saying like what you improve in your car. So in design, we always like we're really a team that loved design. So like we pushed a lot on the whole design thing. So but when I was there, like I think design place, we won one of the competitions I went to in Michigan. We won first place in design, I think either first or second. But like basically the podium and these competitions are like uh, worldwide. So like you would see American 
universities, you'll see German universities, Austrian universities, which are the best. The German universities are like the best. The Germans are the best in engineering in general. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> but is it a stereotype i don't think it's a stereotype it's true i'm kidding no, um, yeah they're insane well i have i have a couple of german friends and seriously like i don't know what's up with their program everything is like super hard but also like they're super smart like i don't know it's crazy <laughs> anyways so so like go back to the, the to the competition uh so you do all of this and then afterwards you test your car so like the first test would be like um like it's called uh i don't know it's like a Henley test. So what you'll do is that you like drive in a circle, right? And the trick is to drive as fast as possible in the circle, right? And the faster you drive in a circle, oh, before before your car starts to like uh, um, lose control, right? So like the f- basically, if you're able to drive as fast in a circle, that means your car has good handling, right? Because the faster you go, the more g force you have, lateral g force you have. So you can see how uh, how well your car can handle like with lateral g-forces it's actually quite funny because uh, the way i would see this is uh basically the what they're grading on is okay there's this competition when we're talking about the handling portion of the competition is basically if the driver doesn't fly out of the car that means you're doing good i think from like a really layman yeah that's pretty much well the driver driver will always stay in the car but if the car just can't handle like just giving you an example you know in um like in a racetrack or whatever like of course, there's like these long straights, but you want to do two corners. So you want to take the corners as quickly as possible, right? Well, I mean, yeah, ideally, if you want to win, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, like, if your car can handle uh, a corner at like 200 kilometers per hour, for example, well, then like, and then the air car behind you cannot handle the corner at 200 kilometers per hour, even though it's, you do exactly the same turn, that means the car that you're using at 200 kilometers per hour has better handling. Yeah, so you were you pushing those kind of speed in your competition? I'm getting no, 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 no. We're not, we're not, we're not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just giving you numbers, okay? So this is this uh, this is the whole handling competition, and then afterwards there's the acceleration competition. So like, which car could go basically the fastest in a straight line? Drag race. It's basically a drag race. And then afterwards there's autocross, which is basically use these two combinations of car strength, like acceleration and handling, and you put them together. And then you have a lap, and then like who has the best lap? It's a hot lap. It's like time attack. That's it. And then afterwards, at the end, you do endurance to see if your car. I could like all of the things that you've shown. Like let's see if the like your car could last at least thirty laps <laughs> without breaking down. Yeah, that's 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 the whole competition. You got to clarify something for me here. Okay, go it's ahead. not the same car every year, is it? As no, in, like, you do you gotta, rebuild everything from scratch from the beginning of the season till the yep. end of the season? Yep. Okay, like that doubles the like impressiveness, impressiveness. Sorry, of this whole task because <laughs> you basically got to start from scratch, and then with the end of product that will withstand every single one of these criteria. Those judging points basically sounds like an actual grading for any car out there. Like, we're, you, you could even apply it to not just like the club that you're you've been into, and you could honestly take those criteria and take you know a regular Hyundai, Hyundai or something, and be like, let's put it through these tests, which I find it quite funny because. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Well, the 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 competition is made by SAE, which is uh, the Society of Automotive Engineers. So they know what they're talking about. Like when you go to these competitions, like you have all these like big reps from all these big car companies that are there just looking at your stuff. It's crazy. 
like uh there's tesla that was there at the time i was there and they were like uh well just looking at the students and like it was kind of like recruitment they're just like mm, this guy's really good he knows what he's talking about yeah Yo, you want to work uh do a internship at tesla oh yeah yeah. <laughs> you know like sneaky it's, sneaky yeah exactly so yeah it is uh up to par with like uh the society of automotive engineering so that's why it's so like I was going to say, it's so involved into it, um, when all the criteria and all that. Um, but what I'm actually really intrigued, like, you know, with your story so far is that, how did, how did that, how do we end up with a point where today you're doing so many great stuff? So that was all like the study bit where like you, you got the chance to do a lot of mechanical engineering, got the chance to build cars and like actually have those competitions and then all this traveling. Where did you find time to actually like end up where you are today? So nowadays you have so many uh, projects going on. So you have the Slab Innovation and you also have the Recipe Podcast. And you also uh, managed to squeeze in like the DJ mixtape and all those kind of fun stuff. So what was the link between then? As in like after that you end up doing all the education part, which I'm assuming you don't do any education anymore. How did you get to the next point? Uh, so basically uh, when it comes to like, I guess, music and everything... I mean, I always liked music uh, back in, like, uh, high school. I feel like I, I talk, like, I always liked that. I feel like everyone liked that. I was like, you like music? Oh, I like music. <laughs> yeah, and, it was um, an easy, easy answer. <laughs> uh, it was easy. I mean, like, I just I just really loved uh, electronic music, EDM, stuff like this back then in 2010. And uh, I was like, I want to become a DJ. I want to do this. I actually, like, I feel like my brain is special. Uh, I like creating stuff in general. Like I told you, like I love drawing cars. I love creating. I'm I'm de- I'm a designer. I design stuff, right? And I also like music. So I'm like, I want to try it. I'm like, why wouldn't you try it? So like I was practicing DJing the whole time. So, and then I wasn't. I was just doing it in my room. And then at one point, when I went to university, I I actually at one point I only didn't st- I only stayed like a year in uh, my social club for a. Uh, like the race, the race trick, the uh, race thing. So like Formula TS was only for one year. And then afterwards I went to, uh, the, the radio, the student radio of the place. And, uh, I continued DJing with them and did a couple of school events and stuff like this. And since then, like it just blew up. I mean, like I was already good at DJing. I, and I wasn't that, I wasn't that great. <laughs> I was, I was, no, you were comfortable. I, I was, I was, you were, I was you're comfortable familiar DJing. with it. That's, that's how we would describe you're familiar with, <laughs> with it. I was familiar, you know, like, and, um, I just started from there. I was just like, you know, I found other people with the same interests as me, and I just like evolved with them and evolved, made the radio a better place for DJs. And then, like, from a friend to another friend, I knew I had some contacts, and then I started to make some bars. I was gonna say, in, in your defense, though, I've heard, like, I've heard your stuff and like yeah you were good as like it wasn't a lie to begin with we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna be like you know playing that down um oh yeah just, just plug plug myself in like i'm a dj i have mixtapes you can listen to me on mixcloud it's amazing <laughs> oh dude link it link it i'm pretty sure people are gonna have that as a background music whenever they can so yeah, seriously i did like the um the bit where you talk about like this spreading out you know like okay start doing it through the radio uh student radio and then we're talking about dj specifically like you know edm stuff and well, the world of EDM, because there's loads of stuff into it. What kind of, um, I guess, like, what kind of setup did that require? Because, like, if we talk about investment in terms of, like, time and money, what did you need to, to you know, do that? What did I need to do that? Uh, I bought, like, uh, the first DJ controller, or one of the first ones. I don't know if it's the first one, but it's the first DJ controller on the market. 
and it was fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, and then all right. laptop. <laughs> but yeah, it's fifteen hundred dollars. But if I would buy the whole DJ equipment and stuff like that, that would probably like send me back to two thousand dollars. But nowadays, nowadays you're really lucky. You could get like a like a DJ controller for like like a good one. I like Pioneer. Uh, a good one for like three hundred dollars. You can even get it to use. Like for a hundred dollars, you could start DJing and actually start with that. Don't start with the fifteen hundred dollars uh, equipment. It hurts less the pocket. <laughs> and like at the end, you're still learning the same thing. I mean, like you could be like an amazing DJ with that three hundred dollar equipment. You don't need that two thousand dollar equipment. There's a fine line between. Um the step up right from nothing to the first i guess 300 dollar like setup that's like a major step up right you're going from nothing to one which is basically like now you got the tools to do it and then like as you go up these like level it's like a smaller and smaller increase in quality of life for djs at least from what i understand um but then like that was really cool because like yeah you made that investment right you made that time investment you made that money investment and then like from then you ended up getting loads of different gigs and like exposure into all these like you know you got to go to different bars and clubs and to, to play in these places so i think that's a really good way and i'm guessing the engineering background you had behind you in terms of like making stuff work right making sure that everything plugs together that was probably super useful <laughs> to be able to do that um you know that helped you end up doing these uh dj stuff one of the things that i remember i don't know if uh i was talking to you about this but in terms of legality of playing songs, this is one thing I always want to figure out is that, you know, like if some if an artist comes out with a song and you want to play it, how does it work? Like, do you have to pay anything? Like, Okay, so like it it dif- differs from place to place. Uh, France is messed up. Uh, they have like these weird rules where you literally have to pay homage for every artist that you play, the song that you play. But how it goes in Canada, and I guess pretty much everywhere else, is there's this always this uh this big company that you have to pay to be able to play at uh, an uh, event. For example, like if actually you don't pay anything. Who pays is uh the institution, the establishment. Okay, so let's say you mix in a bar. The bar pays a certain amount of money to this uh, company called SoCan, and um like you're allowed to play music at that bar basically do they pay like a fixed fee or do yeah, they pay a like a fee, fee per song oh it's a fixed fee and then they and then it's like free reign in terms of whatever you could play in there exactly that yeah. is interesting it's it's way better because or else it'd be like too confusing man imagine if you because they yeah, just so many songs that you play like how can you count quantify everything that you play i mean like do i have to like it doesn't make sense so just to have like a single fee uh it's way better and like so can for example will distribute the money to just all the artists that are subscribed to SoCan. I was going to say, you're going to have debate between two people being like, no, I didn't play that song that night. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't exactly. play like Drake's just Everyone gets track. money, basically. <laughs> That's actually quite funny. Can we have a ballpark? Is that is that like an industry secret of ballpark depending on different places? Or is it a fixed price on every single location? Uh, It depends. Like, for example, uh, let's say you want to... Okay, Perry finally gets married <laughs> and you want to hire a DJ um like depending on the place that you uh you book uh either the place already paid like the fees are already included like for the music or you have to actually pay for uh the fees for the music oh wow are the fees in the hundreds or thousands i don't actually i really don't know because uh it's always i've never had to buy but also like to be honest like people don't really check it like 
I actually I don't know if they do. <laughs> like like let's say and let's say if I do a party and I just mix or stuff like this, like I don't think SoCan is gonna arrive to my door and be like, "Hey, you did not pay." Also, like, cause I don't I don't charge anyone. I think as long as you don't make money, it's fine. But if you start making money, you need to like look into it. That's actually good when you're talking about research and making sure all this uh, all this information. I I feel like it should be more transparent and out there, but sometimes there's always like you know not obvious way of figuring that out so yeah that's actually really uh, really good point to, to point out i mean for people who are interested into trying to get into dj that would be a really good advice to begin with so i'm actually glad that you uh ended up doing that path for a bit so that is really sick exactly so in other words you don't need to worry about it <laughs> i've never worried about it i mean like uh only happened once that i had to worry about it they asked questions about it but like pretty much it like as a DJ, you don't need to worry about it. Most of the time, it's the people that hire you that take care of that part. So it's cool. Oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, man. With the DJ experience, I'm pretty sure like that was super involved in terms of like, I I would say software because you need software to do it. Um, I just want to touch on that real quickly in terms of like, was is it like one software that all the DJs uses, or did you use like one that you liked more than the other? Okay, so uh, when I bought my uh, my controller. It came with Tractor. It's with Native Instrument. It's German. It's amazing. <laughs> plug it in. And shameless plug. Um, yeah, it came with Tractor. And since then, I haven't moved out of the software because I'm comfortable with it. I could use other softwares. I mean, every software is the same. It's just like, it's kind of like a tool. You know, like you're comfortable with this tool. Why would you switch the tools? You know? Oh, yeah. My biggest comparison is when people always compare like Final Cut Pro versus the other movie maker that I can't remember or Adobe. Yeah, Premiere. Premiere. Yeah, that's the other one. Um, that's always the comparison where it's uh, different softwares, competitors making it work. Uh, so that, yeah, from your perspective, it was great that you're something that you're comfortable with and you're able to, you know, produce good quality grade, even production grade material out of it. So I think those are just skills that you end up learning over time. And um, it always just enhances your background, obviously, your background in uh, engineering. But also now that we're talking about these, like, this is very audio, right? When we're talking about DJ, you got to make sure that's that's bit. Oh, my God. When we're talking about audio, I could dive into so many great stuff because obviously you run a podcast as well. And I'm doing a podcast, so I want to pick your brain. But before we dive into that bit, where we're transitioning from the DJ to, you know, audio engineering, a DJ versus audio engineering, a podcast. We, we didn't mention Slab Innovation, right? Like, this is one of the main talking points that we had at the beginning. I was going to say, how did that come into your life? Like, what, what what's the story behind, the, you know, working at Slab then? Uh, okay, so basically, uh, I finished um, I finished university. <laughs> I finished university, uh, had a contract, brief contract at uh, Bombardier, BRP, for like about a month. Uh, yeah, it was kind of like a, it was actually, it was just a contract, actually. And... Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. After the contract, I was like, you know what? I guess I need to find another job. And um, before that, I still have some money and I just graduated. So let's travel. So I decided to travel to Asia. I've never traveled to Asia before. And uh, seriously, I spent like a month and a half over there. It was amazing. I got to discover my Asian side. <laughs> and, um, and then like Slab came into the, the scenario and uh, I continue working there since ever since and it's great it's a great company uh it's actually out of because i did like lots of internships uh well during your university years because you have to and most of my companies were like uh big companies you know like big names like pratt whitney actually I just worked at pratt whitney and uh, this other company called babcock canada which they made like submarines and stuff 
and uh, it was always big. So I always felt like a number, kind of like, oh, he's the guy who does this thing only, right? Oh yeah. And, uh, Tell me about it. When you have like massive big companies with like 500 engineers, specifically software engineers, you'll be like, oh, I'm just another software engineer, right? Exactly. <laughs> you like you don't know the big picture. You don't know anything, and you just do your thing. You don't have any like deadlines or whatsoever. It was really like, eh, just there. And um, that job is is a really small engineering firm, as in like we're, I mean like I was alone in the office for a long time, <laughs> like I was the only designer in the office for a long time, like and now we're and now and now we're two, <laughs> you, like this is how how small it is. So you kind of like because of that of the big like step down, let's say, uh, I got to see a lot more of the big picture and like um how things work actually and just have basically um just an eye on pretty much the whole project so right now i'm working on this really big project uh basically this it's a machine that uh takes coils of metal and turns them into tubes metal tubes and uh yeah so like they're revamping the machine and i'm the guy who's working on the end of the machine the back end of the machine it's like it's a big project there's lots of metal involved <laughs> yeah i mean you, you make it sound so simple that's the thing like you're really downplaying the whole thing i don't because yeah, obviously i, mean, I don't like, have the... i'm downplaying it because uh that's 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 what it is <laughs> yeah because you're talking to me and everything that goes through me needs to be downplayed and so i can understand it properly no i'm kidding but um we're talking about like from the insider point of view that is absolutely sick one point I want to bring up that you, you mentioned was that like comparing big companies, small companies, I have this conversation all the time when we talk about like, you know, these massive corporations like, you know, uh, Google, Oracle, whatever, uh, big names. And then you have these smaller companies where you, when you say you get to touch the whole pipeline, right? The, the whole conceptual, uh, conceptual part of the product, like it is definitely true that if you work at a smaller company, you put on so many more hats, even as a, you know, as a software engineer, like you end up doing stuff that is not super related to a software engineering role but just because you're in a smaller team you're responsible for it so that's why i do get the appeal of doing that is that right now you're probably in a position where you get oh you oversee a lot more you um do tasks that you probably didn't expect yourself to do but the main role that you're doing at the moment when you're saying like you're looking behind the back end of the whole machinery what does that mean exactly like are you doing hands-on i guess like fabrication work if i have to throw in a term in there or is it still like trying to design and like make make sure that the pieces fit together before they even get made. Yeah. So basically I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't touch anything. I just design, <laughs> but like, you know, the design goes from like finding out the client's needs, going to the place, checking out if everything fits together or other measures are good, you know, uh, talking to suppliers, you know, talking to the clients, getting everything done, you know, like having like meetings to make sure like everything is all on point. Oh yeah, I was gonna say the the value of GSD. I mean, <laughs> a lot of companies throw that around, like get stuff done, right? Uh, the PC version of it. That is definitely like a big responsibility. Even as you were saying, like as a mechanic engineer, like those are responsibilities you have to make sure gets done at the end of the day. Um, and then when you're saying like in terms of like, uh, making sure that stuff fits or like making sure that uh the the stuff gets done at the end of the day. The other the other topic that I feel like I must touch at the moment is the uh. The recipe podcast. Um, yes. For the people who don't know what it is, like, can you just give us a brief overview of what is the recipe podcast? The recipe podcast is everything. <laughs> so, um, so it's life. So uh, basically, the recipe podcast. We kind of have a dis 
discussions on pretty much everything going on in life but mostly like uh thumbs down to like uh, hip-hop and the culture around hip-hop because my uh my hosts and co-hosts are both hip-hop fans <laughs> so like the subject tends to go around this but there's lots of in we have lots of interviews around with artists around montreal that are pretty cool i mean we go from uh we had actors singers entrepreneurs rappers of course rappers comedians and all that fun stuff i was gonna say you're naming every single bit of interesting part of that you know um entertainment area in terms of like every single example you've given is something that you could learn so much from and honestly if i get in front of any of it, i could ask so many questions so i think you're you're in a in a space in a topic space that you could dive into so many different things in terms of hip-hop in terms of modern culture like street street culture and all that kind of fun stuff and then even if you could tie it in the canadian culture that's probably even better because i'm pretty sure it's recorded in canada at the moment if i'm not mistaken absolutely yeah so yeah, I gotta gotta rep that out there. <laughs> um, so in terms of like your role for the recipe podcast, you actually audio engineer and produce it as well, which is like people take it for granted just because when you listen that it's oh it just works, but there's so much thought behind it. So I want I want to dig into the that aspect, you know, the technical aspect of getting a podcast on the on the web, like all the work that needs to put behind it. So I think just like um, now that we know the recipe podcast, the kind of topic that it dives into, let's dive in a bit in terms of like the setup, for example. Let's let like how what does the setup look like? What what did you need to get the podcast running? Oh, like equipment wise. Uh, so seriously, um, the podcast at the beginning was uh done at Concordia University, and I was actually I only jumped into the team like uh for season two, so ten at twenty episodes in, actually, and uh before then it would, they had like their own mixer and everything because it was just the Concordia studio, and we decided to buy our own mixer which is more transportable and that thing is basically the beauty of the podcast <laughs> this one makes the podcast so much easier and then after this uh you, you need to buy some mics i mean like mics are important pods are important or else there's uh there's the pop like you have one on your mic right now and like if you don't have one it just you could hear yourself every, every time you say like the word p it's really a poppy, you know, and it doesn't sound right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's something I actually did not notice. So in terms of like, so like from my point of view is that, yeah, I've obviously I've run this podcast that I make at the moment, but it's just these details of like, you know, producing in quotation mark. I'm never going to call myself a podcast producer because I'm doing nowhere near anything significant like that. But it's these details of like when you're talking about the setup and when you're saying that like, oh, you don't want to be tied to, you know, the Concordia studio or you, you want to have this more flexible or the choice of microphone and what the feature of the microphone supports i like i personally love here like talking about this to begin with so um the detail of like the pop and everything what uh what else would you say would be like a necessity to have uh the podcast running seriously like just just a few mics i mean like uh at the end of the day is uh like what is the podcast you can have podcasts that the audio quality is horrible it's horrid and then some where the, the audio quality is way better I mean, it also depends on how much money you want to put, right? Um, let's say, like, uh, the only thing you need is, like, literally the mixer and the mic. <laughs> or at that point, like, you could even use your phone. Like, I know people use their phone for the podcast. It's not that great. But if the if it's listenable, I mean, that's what counts, right? 
Yeah, of course. And like we want that that like that's why that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm I'm like trying to obviously learn so much from uh I guess the production side of it or even the engineering side of the audio of the podcast just because when we have the term that it doesn't sound as good. Like what what do you mean by that? Is it because it's like not as crisp? Like if we if you're talking to a, like a 5-year-old like me, what would you describe a bad audio would be? Like like for example, uh it's like, it's like there's crispness, you know, like you only hear the person's voice. So most of the time, like right now, I could hear like the echo in not the echo. It's more like a, the reverb and echo in your room that you have. So you want to have less of that. I mean, like you could have it. It's not going to kill anyone. But I feel like a really like just think of it like a, like, you know, when you listen to the radio, the voice of the radio, you want to have that. That's like, the best <laughs> ever. like you want to have that yeah, really you, sensual bit to it. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. No, but you want you want the crispness. You want the clearness. That's what you want. And you want to take out all the other annoying sounds off of the audio. Like for example, you were saying like uh, the bathroom or stuff like this. <laughs> like, oh yeah, general, dude, sometimes like, like um, out of nowhere, when you're recording, you'd have like these random sounds coming. Like if somebody flushes, and it's like, dude, I didn't even know like <laughs> that the water passes through here. It's like that's the kind of I guess like problems you would encounter while trying to record anything so i really like the examples of you know the background sound a lot of times i i used to do if people have noticed in some of the previous episodes that i do sometimes i'll have the um like a noise filter on so if it's below a certain level you filter it out and the thing is like you do notice it from a hearer's perspective so when we're talking about like yes recording a podcast is more than just pressing the record button and you know just figuring out the rest I mean, it could be. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you make your life really easy, it could just be recorded and I'll be done. But there's obviously so much more work behind it. Can we talk about some anecdotes of when, like, something like something that annoys you when you're recording a podcast or something wrong that happened? So season two of the podcast was shot at a barbershop. So what's great about our mixer is we can literally bring it everywhere. Like, when I say everywhere, I mean, literally, I could be in the park, set it up, break some mics boom you didn't mention any like internet connection did you no because like i said the podcast uh i mean one before covid uh we recorded everything on the mixer like i said like right the the podcast right now is recording the mixer and like you can literally meet up with anyone everywhere anywhere to record a podcast and like our spot well the beginning our, our main area was uh this barbershop next near my house and we were recording there it was really it's really awesome you can even look the the pictures on uh, instagram and but there's the thing is that sometimes clients would come in and then well the barber would cut their hair and you would hear the buzzing sound and it was it, it was just so loud it was ridiculous we had so many problems like of people coming in and coming out people talking actually during our podcast because it was we were right there so at the end of uh at a certain point we were like you know what can we just like go after hours when there's no one? <laughs> and yeah, that's we struck a deal with the guy and we were able to go after hours when there was no clients and it was just us. Oh man, I love I love those those stories, like the physical space of where you're working with. Like when I when I do these podcasts, obviously I try to make sure that, you know, it's clean and people can hear each other and then like the the least amount of um intrusion happens. But there's some stuff you just can't control, man. If somebody wants to honk their car outside, like you got to find a way to make it a good experience in this podcast. So when you're mentioning like the the setup as well, one of the trick if you want like isolated 
noise, I guess. You could have a better setup in terms of what, like an isolation booth or something, which, you know, the whole point of that is so that you get no outside interference. But also I feel like you see, it's not just about like having the best sound, it's having the most comfortable area. <laughs> like like we went pretty much everywhere. We also did like a podcast episode at a thrift shop. That was really awesome. And like we were on sofas, we were just chilling. There was nobody in because it was after hours. Like we, the, the guy we interviewed like got us in after hours. And like this was the sound quality the best probably not but like the guy was comfortable and he was just talking and just it was fun it was also at that point this is where you actually like film your podcast <laughs> this is where you film your podcast and just like um yeah i mean like i feel like the the area is like the feeling of the area is way more important than actually the audio oh yeah of course because i mean not only is there the uh producing side of the podcast there's also like the bit where people actually have to produce content in it so that's like very super important so um i do i do like that two perspective on on you know actually having a podcast out there and then everything which which i think from my personal experience that's basically it is like from from the beginning to the end unfortunately i'm the only person that's working on this project so i basically got to look over making sure that the room is comfortable like people are talking about interesting stuff like even scheduling it, it has always been a pain in the butt but Actually, you know the example when you're saying like, oh, if people start talking in the barbershop, if there's buzzing or whatever, and that gets caught in the audio, like how do you go about with the, I guess, you use the software to clean that up or how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, the thing you do, you, uh, well, we try to, <laughs> we try to like take it out as much as possible, which is not as easy sometimes. You just kind of have to let it. Uh, so our mixer, like you could record like all the, um, all the channels basically that goes in like separately. So you could like always, you could work on every channel. Let's say I could work on Perry's voice. His voice has too much bass in it. He didn't speak correctly because his mic was too far. You could like bring the volume up just for Perry. You could like, you know, you could like uh, fool around. This guy has too much uh, distortion because he speaks too loud. You put a limiter on his voice. You could, you could be like, you, yeah, you do a bit of tweaking there and there, you know uh you so you cut it up you do a bit of tweaking on the voice you know you make it sound good we also have some presets for like uh my roommate so akeem so he has his own presets uh so like when he we put it on presonus just like slap in his presets so like his voice will always sound the same that's actually a really good trick um i'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people know about that you know preset trick but like even for me i don't often do it because i'm not super familiar with how to do it to begin with just because like um the process that i have is much more raw obviously like i'll try to figure out like the volume levels and i'll try to f figure out like the, the the weird noises and if it's there if i could cut it out i'll try to do it um but i think the important point uh to, to point out here sorry is if you see like an episode or any podcast or any audio audio bit that is like an hour long trust me that the work behind it is way more than an hour. Like <laughs> the amount of times I'd like setting it up and like to actually clean it up and put it on the, on the, I guess, internet to begin with, like it's probably like three times, four times, five times the length of the actual project. So um, actually one of the things that I'm quite like, I put a lot of importance whenever I try to record any of this, that I want to do the least amount of work post-production. So anything after the recording, like I want to put myself in a zone where like, you don't have to touch it. So um, yeah, I think that's something like what What are some tips for people to minimize that post-production time? Just use the right 
place, man. Just <laughs> make sure that during the recording, everything is seamless. <laughs> when it's, it's like, seriously, the, the, the episodes that had the most problems during the recording are the ones that take the most time post-recording. It's like the post-production to like these episodes are horrible because you're trying to make the best that you can. So like it's like salvageable, you know? Oh, yeah. So, Tell me about it. The amount of times I've tried to re-listen to audio be like, what in the world am I doing with this? <laughs> it's exactly. so good that so many people out there are relating to this uh, to put this out there. But yeah, hopefully these are going to be all great lessons for anybody trying to get into this. And obviously people can reach out to either of us um for the people that are trying to like go into the same path as what you've done like whether it be going into a mechanical engineer or whether it be going into building cars or going into um you know making a podcast kind of thing do you have some like advice for the you know for the listeners that are trying to explore this bit of your world yeah just i know it's gonna be really cheesy but seriously like because covid because of covid you know like you kind of do a lot of self-thinking and uh yeah just be yourself enjoy what you do do it for the right reasons <laughs> like i just the reason i became a dj and do whatever the hell i want is because i want it. you know like it's it's not what i want it. it's like i enjoy it it's like for me instead of playing video games you know and uh just doing other hobbies you just do what you want to do do your hobbies if you really love it then do it you know <laughs> That's pretty much it. And then afterwards, you're just, just going to get better. I mean, like, uh, that's how I became an engineer because, like, I was I was just like, you know, like, I really love, uh, I enjoy designing cars. I enjoy designing in general. And, like, if it was me now, maybe I wouldn't even become a mechanical engineer. I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer because I did the whole degree thing. But, like, seriously, like, the more it goes, the more I'm like, you know what? I like music. <laughs> maybe I'll just become an audio engineer at that point. If I, if I have to redo the whole thing, maybe I'll be just an audio engineer. But I'm not. I'm both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not one. It actually doesn't get any more complicated than that. So I think you really put it in a nice way. Like, you know, do what you enjoy and you'll end up somewhere that you'll be, you know, satisfied and content with what you're doing exactly it takes time also you know like you can't just be good at a thing like right away i mean the podcast thing i mean uh, we've been before the podcast it was uh, a radio show at concordia we did that for like two three years a student radio show i mean like we're not like it's like for the podcasting is on you for us on parenthes you know yeah of course on parenthes i love that <laughs> <laughs> This is all great stuff, man. But yeah, dude, where can people follow you, man? And is there anything uh, you want to, you know, links, tags put out there? All right, cool. So uh, my name's Jonathan. My DJ name is Jay Chucks. You can find me on Instagram with Jay Chucks. I also have SoundCloud, Jay Chucks. Don't have much on SoundCloud. Don't have much on, on MixCloud. Actually, I do have a couple of mixtapes on MixCloud if you want to hear. And if you want to reach me to on the podcast, it's called The Recipe Pod on Instagram. And it's the recipe podcast on every platform. Go listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> Amazing, man. Yo, thanks again for being on the show. I think we've learned so much from it. So yeah, I just want a big thank you to you, man. Thanks. Thank you. All right. I'll catch you guys on the next episode.